Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Well, welcome, welcome. Um, it's just after 12 o'clock, a beautiful Thursday afternoon. And this, of course, is the DL Link Show, where we connect you through insights, information, and illumination. Wonderful to be with you. I'm Nikki Seberini, as always, a pleasure. And also just a shout out to the team who make it possible for us to continue giving you content that hopefully today is going to be um, insightful and really helpful um, because our guests are going to be looking at dealing with kids, dealing with anxiety, being at home, homeschooling. Um, Leonard Carr, clinical psychologist, will be joining me in a moment. We know Leonard well, and it's always a delight to have him on the show. Um, we will also then be talking to Carmen Emanuel, who will be sharing her ideas around uh, home schooling and then we're going to be talking to a teacher Richard Bayer who's also a DL Link angel so as I said it is these incredible technical guys who make it possible for us to bring you this kind of content every single day so I'm so grateful to them and I'm just so grateful to you thank you so much for tuning in um, and uh, for taking time out and I hope that you are well and um, we do that weekly check-in you know how are you coping how are you doing the lockdown are you getting Getting up more, you exercising more. I've got to say, you know, from day one, uh, the, the having a structure was always very important to me. So exercising at a particular time, and for some reason, I came across uh, Wim Hof's, um, you know, exposure to cold water. And I don't know what's driving me, but after my walk, I seem to be. I find myself. Walking into the swimming pool, shivering, shaking. Um, and so here it is at 12 o'clock and I've still got very cold hands. So I am sure that after an hour of a time spent with you and with our wonderful guests, I'm going to be feeling top of the world. But I hope that you are keeping up to, you know, routines that you've introduced from the beginning of the lockdown, um, that you are finding your new normal, comfort within that new normal. And if not, well, we have got all the experts today to help you navigate your way through this. So we're going to take a very quick break. After the break, Leonard Carr, clinical psychologist, will be joining us. He's going to be sharing some parenting survival tips in a crisis. So uh, don't go anywhere. Just as I always say, go make yourself something to drink, switch everything off, sit back, relax, and uh, let's just spend this time together in a beautiful, present, wonderful way. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Welcome back to the DL Link Show where we connect you through insights, information and illumination. I love and we've had Leonard on the show for many years and I always love uh, it when he joins us. So Leonard Carr, clinical psychologist, welcome. Thanks for joining us, Leonard. Thanks for inviting me. So, Leonard, how, before we get going with anything, how are you doing? How does a clinical psychologist manage themselves during COVID-19? So, Nikki, um, you know, I'm, thank God, doing very well. Uh, you know, I, I am a closet recluse in the first uh-huh. place. <laughs> so, so to be freed of having to, you know, be in traffic shopping centers or whatever it is, is, is really great. Um, and... Um, it's a, it's a very intense time, you know, so trying to obviously survive and, you know, um, keep an income flowing and at the same time make sense of what's going on for myself and dealing with, you know, my own emotional reactions and, 
and and also trying to be creative and write and and keep a record of what's happening because I think that this is a unique time in history. You know, mm. uh, we never thought that something this monumental would ever happen in our lifetimes. You know, we know about world wars and great depressions and things, but we never thought that something comparable would happen in our lifetime. And here it is. So I'm trying to make the most, you know, squeeze the juice out of it, and mm. and learn as much from it as I as I can. Yeah, that's incredible. Listen, if you if you are writing things down, and I mean, I think to capture this, as you say, um, the ups, the downs, the insights, um, to be able to capture that, and so it's something that we can look back on. I think is quite extraordinary, Leonard. I look forward to reading it when it's out. Well, it's all, it, it is. Um, I'm a columnist in the in the Jerusalem um, Report, which is, which is the magazine section of the Jerusalem Post. So I am, I'm, I am putting it into article form, my reflections. The last one was around Pesach and the next one will be about, uh, around Shavuos and how we can actually tie in the, the lessons of the season with what we're going through, you know. Hmm. Well, Leonard, I mean, you say you, you still working, um, tell me, are you getting a lot of, um, people contacting you with regards to kids and helping um, deal with this crisis. And, and I'm talking quite specifically about, um, you know, children are around. We, we, some of us have big homes, some of us have tiny homes. Um, parents speak, they share their fears of if a mother or father has lost their job or lost their business or fear of an illness. And children just seem to float past and pick up these bits of information. Sometimes parents are open and are able to process it with their kids. And other times they're trying to process it themselves and their children just happen to pick up bits. And so I can imagine the anxiety, um, you know, with this unknown with lots of children. And obviously with the parents with the anxiety, are you finding that a lot, um, Leonard? And, and if so, what, are, what would the telltale signs be? How would you know as a parent um, when your child is having problems um, dealing with the, with the current crisis? Well, and the problem is that you might not. Um, yeah. You know, and... and Children will default into their normal coping mechanisms. And also, if children see that parents are not coping or that parents are under a lot of stress, depending on their personality type, they'll either act out and demand a lot of attention and demand containment and reassurance, sometimes by being naughty or stubborn or whatever it is. And... Other children will internalize it and become compliant and very helpful and cooperative. Um, and you never know that anything's going on, you know. So I think either way, the parents' responsibility remains the same. And I, I think that if you think about how, how, how much confusion there is in the media amongst leaders, amongst experts, the arguments going on. So, the, 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 you know, I think the world is, has become like children going through a divorce. Yeah. You know, where you don't know which parent to believe, and no one's really being the parent in the situation and, and looking after the home. And, and, and so the p- parents' lives have become, you know, fragmented and uncertain and all people's t- taken for granted realities. 
have become, you know, redundant, um, whether it's about how we work, how we shop, how we interact socially, how parents, grandparents and grandchildren interact. Every aspect of life has been affected. So in this uncertainty, parents have to be the parents. In other words, the fact that they're feeling like, in a sense, you know, children in a chaotic world, and they don't feel um, any kind of reassurance or, or stability from the outside. They have to provide that in the home. They have to stay the grown-ups in the home, if you know what I mean. Mm. Um, and, and, and actually, of course, children do know what's going on, and, and um, the social media and everything's full of it. I mean, you know, I've noticed even with the um, – even with the newspapers, you know, even like the Jerusalem Post, for example, you just open it and everything is about coronavirus. It's like nothing else exists in the world anymore. Yeah. And so parents have to be that, give children that confidence, that reassurance. I mean, just to, to give you a metaphor, I met a woman once um, who had been, that, that her family had been hidden, had hidden during the war. In, in a ceiling. So, so they couldn't move because the roof, they were lying on the, on the ceiling, like on the rafters, and the roof was just above them. Sure. And that was for years. And the father used to draw her pictures and tell her stories of, you know, the world outside. Mm-hmm. And so he helped her to kind of, um, have this hope. And that's what, that's what, that's what parents have to do. No matter what's going on around you, you have to, in the home, create a world that is stable, that feels secure, that is hopeful, um, so that the children feel confident and held. So what, um, Leonard, would you say, you know, because we can look at different age groups. Last week I was speaking to someone, we were talking about, you know, when you have these years like in matric or grade seven and these important years and how to come to terms with the fact that the year's not going to play out the same way. If we look at younger children, children who are climbing into bed at night and they're more needy and they're not sleeping or they can't go to sleep and there is the fear there. And, you know, questions come up about what will happen in the future, um, fear of getting sick, mom, dad, what happens if you die, what happens if I die, how do you navigate that, um, Leonard? Um, You know, I'm always interested when it comes to children how far you go with with these kind of conversations. Um, Well, I think it's important to tell the truth. And um, the question is not whether you tell the truth or how much truth you tell, but rather how you tell it. Yeah. You know? So, so first of all, I think that if one looks at any catastrophic event, you know, let's say going back to the Great Depression, the, the First and Second World War, you see that while the world goes through trauma, the world is always advancing to a more prosperous, more technologically advanced, better society, you know? And I think for children... I think the message is that actually you've got your whole lives ahead of you and in the long run good will come out of this. On the other hand, death is something that accompanies us all the time. This is not just about um, COVID-19 because at the end of the day, 
you know, there are people that leave home in the morning and say goodbye to their kids and don't come home at night. Yeah. And so I think, I think, you, you know, sexuality and death are two things that need to be introduced to children from the earliest years as part of the reality of life. You know, if you, if one thinks in, 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 in rural cultures or like in the shtetls, you know, when the shochet came along and, 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 and slaughtered the animals in your back garden and, you know, grandparents died in the home, death was part of life and people accepted it. So I think that you have to introduce that reality to children, but at the same time, you've got to give them a perspective. And the perspective is that, that, that you've got to know what, what strength, what um, resources you have inside you that would help you to cope with any difficulty, you know, that no matter what happens, you've got the ability to survive because if you remember that difficult situation you went through it, that trauma that we had or that challenge that you had, remember how, how you coped. You found courage. You found tenacity. You found hope. You found strength. You found compassion. Think about all of those things and you'll see that, yes, it might be, you might go through difficult times, but you'll be able to cope with that because there's nothing in the outside world that a person can find security, real security in. Because we're all aware of the possibility of illness and death, you know, anyway. Mm-hmm. But what you can always be sure of is what you've got inside and with, and what you know you're going to use to cope should the difficulty arise. And that's yes. the gift you have to give children. Mm, there is that, that, that is the gift that can certainly come out of this. Leonard, I'm going to press pause for a moment, a quick ad break. Sure. We're going to be right back. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome back to the DL Link Show. We're having such a wonderful and interesting conversation with Leonard Carr, clinical psychologist. Leonard, you've been talking about, um, you know, going back to resilience of people during World War II. I mean, just coming across Anne Frank and, and never forgetting the quote when she says, I keep my ideals because in spite of everything, I still believe that people are really good at heart. And when you think of, what she endured, you know, this was written in her diary and um, how they were, you know, closed up in this small area and you compare it to what we're going through, just that right. to have that mindset, to have that outlook is incredible, Leonard. So, right. so, so for parents to, so you've, you've spoken about, you spoke to resilience, the ability to look back and say, when have I, when have we dealt with a difficult situation? We've been able to do it and we will do it again. And that's this resilience. How do we as parents promote a mindset, this growth mindset during this time without really pretending? You know, it's one thing to pretend and it's another thing to really intrinsically believe and feel into the good things that can come out of it. Right. So um, I think one's got to start with the basics, which is really, you know, what you said in the introduction, which is creating stability. And and creating stability means that the the sort of rules and the and the the um, routines and the aspects of life that anchor us that give us a sense of who we are, you know. Getting up and getting dressed in the morning, I think, is really important. Lounging around a whole day in pajamas, 
um, I think, you know, can lead to someone becoming depressed. Yeah. And when it comes to children, and this is, you know, this is something that, that, that I often have to say to people when there's been a bereavement, so I'll, I'll mention it in that context as well. There's the tendency to be easier on children, to, to say, well, they're going through a hard time. We won't expect this from them. We won't expect that from them. We won't discipline them, etc. But the net effect of that is that you're introducing new changes into the child's life. It actually creates more instability. So one needs to try and keep a structure and keep things as consistent as possible so that from the child's point of view, the world hasn't changed completely and there's, you know, nothing predictable and nothing to orientate or anchor themselves in. You know, that's the one thing. The other thing is that to make it real with, with children, um, and, and I think this is a mistake people make, you know, try and be a, like a motivational speaker to your child. I mean, that doesn't really wash because, um, um, because at, the, at the end of the day, it's got to be real. It can't all be talk. Uh-huh. So, you know, the way to make it real is to actually make demands on the child, to actually give the child tasks and responsibilities um, that help the child to get in touch with their own resources, their own strength. So mm-hmm. maybe, you know, a lot of people are not having domestic workers or, 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 or they, you know, there's a lot of things that have changed with people being at home. This is an ideal opportunity to involve children more and to put more demands on them and to help them to discover their own um, capacities and capabilities. And also another thing one can do to make it real, you know, is talk through scenarios and and say, well, I mean, what would happen? You know, you've expressed a fear to me. Like what would happen if that happened? I can't tell you it could never happen because we don't know. Mm. But, Let's talk through if it did happen, how would you deal with it? Let's 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 go through some of the ways, you know. Right. What what would help you? What would you think about? So when you help and this is good for people to do for themselves, not only for children, when you actually rehearse dealing with what you're scared of, it gives you a sense of mastery. Um and and, and actually if God forbid the situation does arise, then it serves as an inoculation because people don't get traumatized necessarily by something that they've already rehearsed and, and got played through in their minds and in a sense then emotionally inoculated themselves. Right. Um, from, because they've already gained a mastery from it in their mind, you know. Um, and, and so it's like you've lived through it already. It's so valuable, Leonard, this idea of, because the whole anxiety is around the what if, right? So, so the fact that you're saying have the conversation and say, okay, what if? So you're saying, so in a safe way, you can talk about it, you can discuss the what if, and it kind of can prepare you if that does become a reality. But, but also you're going to a, a place, I suppose, which you wouldn't want to normally go to if it creates anxiety and fear and you're almost shining a light on it and maybe it's just not as scary. I, I think that's such a right. valuable tool. Right. Because, because death, death, it, it, 
is a reality for us from the moment of conception. Yeah. And 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 children, human beings are aware of that reality, whether it's ever put into words or not. You know, it's it's not like uh, you know we don't we don't we don't talk about the c word. We don't mention that illness as if if we don't mention it, no one will get it. Mm. You know. Um. So w- when you actually name it, then death can become your teacher, you know, and, and, and when I say that, it's something that I always drove home to my kids, and that was don't have unfinished business with people. Yeah. You know, always make sure that you, you fix up your mess, that you don't have ongoing conflicts, that you don't, um, you, know, you know, you don't indulge in pettiness, that you don't leave the house in a fury, um, you know, and even though that might sound melodramatic, there are people that have left the house in, in a fury and not come back, you know. Mm-hmm. But more importantly, um, it, 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 it helps children to rehearse. And, you know, I, I'll say, th- I've always said things to my kids like, you know, even as a joke, you know, one day when I'm gone, you can all fight over these cufflings or whatever it is. Um, and I remember when they were little, I could see it used to be a little disconcerting to them. Mm. But it was a way of introducing to them the reality that this this possibility exists. It will happen one day. And the more importantly, it's something we can talk about. It's something we can joke about. It's not something that we all have to tiptoe around and pretend that it doesn't exist. Yeah, I'm very much with you there, Leonard. I think it's so many important discussions around that that we should have that we don't have. Um, you, you said, you know, it sounds dramatic um, saying to your children, you know, have that clean space, no unfinished business. Um, that's a lesson in life because that just brings sure. us to the importance of how really every moment is so valuable because we did. I, I think I read a quote out a few weeks ago where the Dalai Lama said he just can't understand with humanity that we live life as if we're going to live forever. Um, and, you know, and then we take things for granted and we, we don't see the value in some of the small things. So I think to to live by that and 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 not have you know uh, the, this walking around as you say running out the house when you're still angry. It, 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 I mean, it just yeah, especially yeah. now with COVID nineteen, right? We get to see this so much uncertainty that where we have the certainty, we've just got to put everything into it. Uh, absolutely. Actually, um, the, the morale says. Um, on the ant, you know, there's, it, 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 it talks in, in Proverbs about the ant, that we shouldn't be like the ant, uh, that we should be like the ant, that we should learn from the ant, and that mm-hmm. we shouldn't be, we shouldn't be inert or sluggish. You know, we shouldn't have utsless. And, and one of the, the things that it says, that the Maharal says about the ant, is that the ant lives, the ant acts as if it is going to live forever. In other words, it collects grain for years, even though it's only going to live for months. Um, so I'm not disagreeing with the Dalai Lama, but there's a, the, the other side to that. Mm. And that's obviously, you, you know, if one gets fearful of death and says, well, we, we're not going to live forever, that could make you almost 
paralyzed in, in fear or come to the attitude of what's the point. Yeah. So we've got to hold both realities, the one mm. that we're not going to live forever, and therefore um, we have to see a sense of urgency and, and do work as if we are going to live forever. But then on the other hand, um, we can't stop life in, you know, and become afraid of that. Mm, wonderful. Such wisdom. I love that. Thank you, Leonard. And isn't it great that we, so we always try and look at what are the gifts that come out of this time. I mean, we've been talking about a number of the gifts, but that just in itself is such a gift that we can have this conversation and we can really start to think about these important things. And if we, when we are finally out of lockdown and we can get back to normal, whatever normal is, if we can bring this new understanding with us, what a gift, really. What a huge step forward in, in terms of lessons and life. I love that. I love that we can have this discussion. I really do. I think that this is an ideal time. You know, with, with all the uncertainty, with all the taken-for-granted realities, now having become redundant, this has given us a tremendous freedom to reassess our lives and to maybe realign ourselves with what we always really wanted, but mm-hmm. maybe we're too comfortable or fearful to go for in the past. And so I think people should be having those thoughts and conversations about the future that they want to create instead of just waiting for, to see what's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. Very exciting, you know, but, and then it, it really what it boils down to is in how you, you know, how you look at it and how you approach it, which is why we have people like you around, Leonard, to steer people back onto the path. So we really appreciate that you've shared some time with us today to help our listeners with that. Some wonderful insights, really, Leonard. Thanks, Nikki. Always a pleasure, Leonard. Hopefully we'll have you on the show again soon. Take care and look after yourself. Thank you, Leonard. Thanks so much. Um, Leonard Carr, Clinical Psychology on 101.9 High FM, the DL Ling Show. Wow. I mean, isn't it exciting? We get such incredible guests to share so many insights and we get to just soak it up and hopefully implement it because this really is a time to make the shifts, to, to break free from the shackles of past beliefs and behaviors and see if we can create something new, see if this process can be a metamorphosis and what will we emerge um, into um, and and out of of this time for me is very exciting. A quick break and uh, we'll be right back with Carmen Emanuel. Stay with us. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Well, it is a glorious Thursday here in Johannesburg. Clear skies and aren't we all so blessed to be able to um, have access to the guests that we have um, here on the DL Link Show on 101.9 High FM. And yet another wonderful guest. She's no... Um, she's no um, stranger to the show, a Carmen Emanuel, who is a patient liaison officer at the DL Link. She's always a marriage, also a marriage counselor and motivational speaker. Lovely Carmen, thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, good morning, welcome, hello, hello, hello. So, Carmen, I, I always like to ask, how are you doing? How are you coping with this lockdown and uh, your yeah, whole new experience? How are things going for you? 
No, things, thank God, are going well. Um, in terms of DLink, I mean, we've tried to keep in contact with all the patients so they don't feel isolated and the warriors, you know, feel that we've got their support. Even if we can't offer physical help at this point, we can at least uh, be there for them and be an emotional ear. So um, we are available. And um, in terms of homeschooling, um, I run a homeschool. Um, we've been doing online schooling, and um, we also uh, school children who are doing Cambridge and um, a lot of other homeschoolers we give um, online lessons to. So we've been connecting with them. So it's been a, you know, they they haven't had such a big change because, Anyway, they were doing homeschooling and um, they were quite organized and had their systems in place. So the change for them hasn't been as big as for the children that have gone into, that have come from conventional um, schooling into homeschooling. But it's not really homeschooling, it's more crisis schooling and parents think they're homeschooling but they're not really. They're actually crisis schooling which is completely different to what homeschooling is. So just to rewind for a second, Carmen, do you say you have your own homeschooling? You you yes, run a school? A, yes, we have a homeschool, uh, a tutor center, and um, so we teach various homeschool groups. We also, my husband and I both train teachers. My husband trains maths teachers in rural areas and remote outlying areas, so they've had to change to online teaching of the teachers and um I train preschool teachers, so I've been in contact with my students who own preschools in Alexander, in Orange Grove, in Soweto, um, and also asking with asking them how they're actually coping with um, this COVID-19, and they're actually struggling. The ECD area is the most neglected. In fact, the Department of Education hasn't mentioned ECD at all, so nobody really knows what's happening. And in Alexander, um, the parents are not paying school fees. Maybe 10% of the parents are not paying school fees. So the teachers are actually starving and don't have any resources for food or um, any way of earning an income. And a lot of their, their pupils obviously don't have technology. So they were, they're wondering how are they going to educate their children. Sure. So, well, I mean, that's a huge obstacle, Carmen. So what are, I mean, are there solutions to this? Well, well, I, well I mean, okay. short term, I mean, long term, there would be. But I mean, now, I mean, what's going to happen to all of these children? Are they just going to um, fall through the cracks? What about these teachers who aren't earning salaries? I mean, in the long term, how, what effect will that have? Well, the, the thing, we belong to an, uh, a national organization called Intatiise, and in Tassayise are now looking at online education. They're trying to have meetings online. Um, they're supported by UNICEF. Um, and in the past, we have worked with like Feed South Africa, who feed some of these schools, and they're trying to um, address the issues. And obviously, Africa Tikkun in, in Alexander are trying to address the issues. But um, now they are trying to look at ways that they can use cell phones. Unfortunately, yeah. you know, a lot of the universities have now got um, data sponsored for their students and um, my sons at UNISA, for instance, and they're getting data. And I know um, my other ones at WITS and they're getting data. 
and there's going to have to be some kind of um, data, free free data for these ECDs so that they can carry on educating because it seems like they're going to be the last to go back. Um, although it's unclear, nothing's actually been said to the ECD platform. Um, and the teachers are very worried. The teachers uh, that my husband trains and teaches, um, he teaches high school, teaches maths. And um, in in Midrand, um, there's a school called Quena. And uh, in um, Kwakwa, he teaches those teachers. And they they really, first of all, they, they don't have any money. They're not getting, some of them are not getting any income. Um, some are getting an income. But um, they're very worried because there's no water supply at the schools. The the toilet facilities are not adequate, um, and they're really worried about the schools. So it's it's a big concern. But the homeschool um, community is huge. I don't think people realize how huge the homeschool community is. And the homeschool community in South Africa have opened their doors and opened all their WhatsApp groups, and um, they've got Facebook presence to any parents that are from general schools, whereas before um, these, all these platforms were not open to parents who were in mainstream schooling. But um, since COVID-19, as with all education worldwide, it's become available um, to everybody. All these, everybody's sharing resources, providing um, some of the nursery schools. I know Sydney Nursery School, for instance, um, have shared their resources and are supplying packs to um, the other to our to schools outside. You know, in Alexander, for instance, and in Soweto. Mm. So I think that's going to be the future. The future is that now suddenly. Mainstream schools and home schools and everybody's combined. Whereas only four months ago, if you homeschooled your child, you could have been punishable by um, a, prison, a prison sentence. If you homeschooled your child? If you homeschooled your child and you didn't register with the Department of Education really? and you didn't conform to the rules four months ago, you would have, you could have been open to um, imprisonment. Whereas uh, organizations like the Pestalozzi Trust, they do um, represent their legal representations for homeschooling parents um, in case that happened. Uh, the Bella Bill introduced um, that it was illegal in some cases, and now the minister said only last week, if you want to homeschool your child, you can. Well, that's, as you say, I mean, very interesting. First of all, you started talking about the difference between the homeschooling and the crisis teaching, which is what we're going through at the moment. But also, I mean, people who are working from home. So the question is, will people still go into the office if they can work from home? Now, the possibility of homeschooling, whereas people, perhaps some people who wouldn't have considered it before, maybe will. They're looking at it in terms of cost. They look at it in terms of time. They're looking at it everything and whether their children were flourishing or are flourishing under these conditions or not, because all of our children are different. Um, so it'll be very interesting to see, Carmen, how that opens up and how many more people um, and students will opt for the homeschooling model. Um, and also in a country where we have such inequality when it comes to education and access to education, perhaps if, you know, uh, the big companies, service providers are going to start providing free data and lots of people have 
have access to phones, if that's going to change education across the board in South Africa. I mean, if that's what COVID brings and it's a positive outcome, wouldn't that be fascinating? Well, I think it's already, it is happening. I think the yeah. NGOs and the NPOs, um, like in Tati, they like, um, all the, the NGOs, they've actually, feed South Africa, Africa Tikkun, they've actually taken the reins and they're doing what the government hasn't done for years and has neglected so many areas of, um, education. Um, you know, I've, I've seen it, uh, we went, I went to Soweto, uh, into Alexander, there's a school of 900 children and the class average was 37 for maths mm-hmm. in grade 10. You know, and 900 children and the class average is 37. That sure. means the education level is so low. And I think this is just or, um, in a matter of months or weeks, um, it's actually changed the whole face of education. And suddenly private schools are now sharing their resources. Um, and it's, it's sad, but it's also wonderful that it, that it's happened that um, even the world, I mean, now you can go virtual online tours of museums. You can go to the New York um, Library and get any book you want. Cambridge um, Cambridge University is going online till 2021. All the, the programs, all the educational, all the degrees and everything else is going online till 2021. Cambridge themselves... Um, are looking at restructuring the education. And I think what COVID-19 has done is it's forced um, all education systems around the world to make themselves relevant to the modern day. Their whole, yeah. um, whole way of teaching, it's, we're never going to go back to exactly the same. And yeah. all you know, teachers that have had to suddenly become um, a future, futuristic and future go future forward in terms of their technology, the teachers have now had it, have got a taste and now know how to use it better by force or whatever, have actually embraced it. And we've also had to learn to cope with things like what happens when the child switches off the screen? What happens when the child says, oh, I've lost connection? Um and parents have had to also readjust their whole system. I mean, I've had children coming online, um, just coming out of bed 10 minutes before, not taking their medication because we specialize with children that have got ADD and Asperger's. A lot of their children, you know, parents are not giving them their anxiety medication, their um, Ritalin, all their medication that they need. Whereas homeschool parents have already... They've got a place. They've set up a, a learning area. They've set up um, a system, uh, some kind of time and, and routine. And also parents have to realize that they do, they're not their child's teacher. But yeah. they are their child's, not for formal education, but they are their child's teacher. And um, in terms of just saying maths, you know, learning how to read a speedometer, learning how to read a... Uh, electricity meter, learning how to um, measure your water and lights, all the all the science and the math that you need. Because most students, you ask them, why do I need maths? And they say, I don't know. What do I need maths for in my life? Yeah. And parents have to are reclaiming their role as educators, um, informal educators. 
And that's what COVID-19 has done. It's forced parents into, whereas parents were outsourcing their education. They had au pairs, they had um, the teachers, extra lessons. More and more parents were outsourcing their parenting roles and their education. And now COVID-19 has forced them to reevaluate their role as a parent. In yeah. fact, the children have forced them off. Carmen, I'm going to have to, I'm so sorry, Carmen, we're running out of time. Um, okay, it's fine. We're going to have to end there, but so, um, you know, I think so uplifting and very exciting for the future. Um, as you say, so many changes. We had our heels dug in and now we've been forced, catapulted into the future, which was meant to be. So thank you for that, Carmen. Um, so, so lovely much. having you on the show. We really do appreciate Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so thank much. Thank you. Thank you very much. Carmen Emanuel. And just wishing- yes. Sorry, Carmen. Okay. Carmen's not there. She's a patient liaison officer at the DL Link marriage counselor, motivational speaker, um, mother and teacher. Quick break. After the break, we're going to be talking to a teacher and see how he's coping with this online schooling. So stay with us. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Thank you so much for staying with us. 101.9 Chai FM, the dealing show where we connect you through insights, information, and illumination. Um, Carmen talking about online schooling. She said this is called crisis schooling. So I have Richard Bayer on the line. He is a deal link angel. He is a teacher at King David. He is also, his wife is a, a warrior. Um, she's just, uh, is a survivor of breast cancer, um, and a teacher. So we're going to hear it from Richard's Perspective. Richard, welcome and thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. Thank you. I appreciate it. Can I just correct you? I'm a teacher at Kips, King Edward Preparatory School. I will say no wife, more, Kips. <laughs> and then my wife teaches a grade three at Yeshiva. Fantastic. Thank you for clarifying that, Richard. And also, we're so sorry for your loss. Um, I believe you lost your mother-in-law um, to cancer not long ago. So we, we, we're terribly sorry for your loss. Thank you. Appreciate it. Richard, how are you finding, you know, um, Carmen was just talking about teachers who were feeling a bit anxious about online schooling before the resistance to the online schooling and kind of COVID-19. There was no choice, right? How are you coping? How is your wife coping? What's, what's online schooling like from a teacher's perspective? That's a very good question. So you've got to take us as parents, teachers, and we've got a child at the same time. Oh, okay. so the difficult thing is, Myself, for example, I'm teaching 96 children and my wife has got her class. Then my own child has got his children. So the most important thing is that we've got a routine and we've got a structure and that we organized. We put up a routine and a structure on a Sunday so that we organized. We've each got our own working place. So as long as we organize and structure through the week, it's okay. The problem comes through is when children, for example, have data issues or, for example, there's one computer between three children. That's when the issues tend to come through. And even though, you know, the issues don't come, the problem is when a child, for example, might work at 9 o'clock at night, another child works at 3 o'clock. So the messages are coming through 24-7. So the job at the moment is a 25-7 type of job. Yeah, no, no, no switch off. I think for, for, I think everyone's feeling that way. Kind of that time of beginning and ending, there doesn't seem to be an end. So, so would you say, Richard, that, um, based on what you're experiencing now, do you think that you're going to go back to educating the way you did before? What kind of changes do you think are going to come out of this once this COVID-19 is behind us? Well, that's a good question. So we go back to school next week, our staff, and 
As a grade 7 teacher, we start on the 1st of June. But the first thing that's happened is our classes have been cut in half. So we had three classes of give or take 30 each, then now they'll be about 15 or 16, and they'll be spaced. So nobody will be in double desks, they'll be in single desks. Now, at a school like King Edward, which is difficult, sport is massive. Now, we're not sure where the sport will take place for the rest of the year. The kids are also worried that they'll be stuck in break. How do you keep, for example, little ones away from each other? That's also going to be difficult. But many of the kids are in fear that they're going from one jail or prison at home to another prison or jail at school. And, and that is the difficult thing. That is the big anxiety that we're, going, uh, that we're going through at the moment, is how it's actually going to go forward. And I think as long as we follow the steps, we follow the doctors. You know, we have the 1.5-meter spacing. You know, for example, there's a whole talk about school uniform not wearing and uh, not being worn. Do we wear civvies? Is it easier to wear a jacket? Because if you wear a blazer, that, you can, that becomes a problem. So these are all issues that are obviously being discussed at the moment, but obviously education will change. The problem is for me is that it speaks to richer people and it might struggle, you know, the sort of poorer people tend to struggle, and that is my big concern. Well, we'll have to see how how that plays out. You know, it, yeah, as we say, we don't know. We literally are taking it one day at a time. And and Richard, your wife is, um, she's free of of her cancer. She's in remission. She's healthy. She's able to conduct her lessons all in order. There, hundred percent. She's absolutely superb. Uh, she's fantastic. She's strong, and it's the power of belief. And and that's where I want to bring a dear link. I'll never forget when she was ill and her at her worst. The support. The the help, the, the meals, the you know people coming over to talk to us and to chat was absolutely priceless. And that's what got us through. As good as the doctors were, I mean, they were absolutely fantastic. To have that love, the support of the Jewish community through the, um, the DR Link, is, was, to me, was 90% of it, which was fantastic. And that, to me, links to the whole COVID situation. It's, it's the human interaction. What am I missing most about school is the human interaction. Being in a class, congratulating a child, high-fiving him. Talking through a computer is very difficult, and that to me is um, we are compared to very well. Yeah, I, I was uh, reading something yesterday. You know how we how we built to make that eye contact, to read one another's body language, because we're looking for that connection, the mirror neurons to fire, and and behind a screen it doesn't happen. So as a teacher, that must be pretty difficult because you're gauging your students all the time, aren't you? It's very difficult. You know, as a teacher, you want to debate, you want to discuss, you want to read body language. Now, through a computer, you actually have to mute the kids. Otherwise, you know, there's no control. Yeah. Uh, and that's what, you know, is missed. You know what I mean? And kids need that, especially kids that struggle or find the academics difficult. They need you to sit with them. They need the praise. They need you to say that is excellent. They need the encouragement, the motivation. And that, to me, is what's lacking. I find yeah. the child who gets the 80, 90% will be fine wherever he goes. You know, he's got those independent skills. He's got that. But it's more the kid that sort of struggles with the work that is really battling. Well, all the questions are there. The answers will unfold as well. You know, what happens after COVID-19 or with COVID-19, we see, we wait and we see. Richard, thank you so much. Wonderful having you on the show. Do do take care. Um, Health to you and your family. And um, it was lovely having you on the show. That's appreciated. May you guys continue doing uh, wonderful work. We really appreciate it. And to everyone at the link, you're fantastic. And just keep doing what you guys are doing. Amen to that. Thank you, Richard. Lovely, lovely yeah. having you join us. Well, Very thank awesome. you so much for, for tuning in today. What a, what an insightful, interesting group of people we had on the show today. I hope you learned from it. I learned so much as always. And to be in your company, well, that's a privilege. Thank you for tuning in. From me, Nikki Seberini. Until next week, do take care. Bye bye.